did you know that the Bible says to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Does anyone know that? All right. A couple of you did? Well, now you know. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. And so this morning, before we get into our message, um, I want to pray for, uh, we have some people going to some, some missions this month uh, in July. Um, we got a small team going to Mexico for five days. Uh, we'll be teaching in a pastor's conference, visiting our church, uh, our sister churches in Texcoco, in Cuatro Vientos, and Las Cuevas. Um, we'll be doing some ministry there and working with them. And there's four of us going, and that's Shannon and Jesse and Elise. And I think Elise is teaching this. Oh, no, you aren't. Good. So we're going to ask you to come come up. We're going to just ask the, the church to stretch out their hands. And um, uh, Elise has been t- down to Mexico a number of times on this. Shannon's come down a couple of times. I go every year, and this is Jesse's first time. And then, so, so we're going to ask for prayer while we're gone, and that, that God will just open our hearts to receive anything he has for us, and also it will be a blessing to them. Zach, uh, my son Zach, is heading to Guatemala for 30 days on a missions trip. And um, he's going to be working with a number of ministries down there. He's going to be working with the ministry that, w- that we support, uh, Nancy and Josue Lemus from uh, the Jeremiah Project. He's going to be serving with them um, almost every day while he's down there, working with the kids and serving in any capacity. But he's also going to be connecting <coughs> um, with another friend of ours, Abner Contreras. He is uh, part of a ministry down there, and right now they're doing relief work for the victims um, from the, the recent volcano eruption. So he's going to be, who knows what they'll have in store for him. He's got a strong back. He may be um, helping either to build houses or possibly even digging out um, some of the destruction. So we want to pray for him that, that this will be a refreshing time. God will prepare his heart. Uh, likely, as he's working with some of the, these people who had the catastrophe of this volcano, his heart's going to be ripped right open because he's going to see, although he, he you know, lived a few years in Guatemala when he was young and we've gone on some missions trips, this is going to probably be one of the, the most radical, um, eye-opening experiences. So we want to come and have Zach come and, and uh, we're going to just pray for the whole team and uh, as we go and as he goes to Guatemala. Um, you know, we just, we believe in prayer. We want coverage by prayer, but it's also the science says, you know, any one of you could could be used by God to go into the world in different capacities to, to help preach the gospel. So, amen. And Joe's going to come and lead us in prayer. He had no idea, but he, he does now. Amen. <laughs> Definitely be thinking uh, this next month or the next 30 days to be praying for Zach on a, on a regular basis. And I'd probably throw in there to pray, in for, pray for his mama. Because uh, this will be the first time, you know, he turned 18 just last week, last Thursday, and and uh, he's going to be gone for a whole month into a third world nation. So, you know, it's always fun on mom and dad. But, you know, I don't know. I, I actually haven't talked to Shannon about how she feels. For me, it's sometimes I've been mentioning to people he's going, they're like, are you worried? And I'm, Guatemala is, is like a second home to me. Um, so for me, I don't even really think about the fact, you know, it's dangerous. Um, it's like, oh, he's just going home, but it is a third world country, and it is a little dangerous. So anyways, uh, but we're going to be praying for him. And we're in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Amen. So ne- next week, uh, Pastor Mickey's going to be bringing the word while, while we're in Mexico over this next weekend. And so I'm excited uh, to listen online 
to him bringing the word next week. And uh, he's going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to finish up Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. <sighs> Father, as we uh, spend this next half an hour, 45 minutes in the word, I just pray that you would, uh, you would bless it, God. Even as we're going to get into, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to understand it, God. Um, we just thank you um, for your, your word that's been sent for us. God bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> I think there was a water up here. Do you have a water, Gare? I just need a sip. I have a communion cracker stuck in my throat. It reminds me that the, the, such a, the story of the little boy who in the, in the Catholic Church had taken communion and, and he was making all these motions and, and the mom says, what's wrong? He says, Mom, Jesus is stuck to the roof of my mouth and I don't know what to do. I mean, when, you, when you're taught that, that the, the bread actually becomes the body of Christ, is it okay to get in there and take it out? I mean... <laughs> <sighs> it's just a cracker. It's just a cracker. Amen. Starting in verse 15, we're going to go from uh, verse 15 and, and go all the way to verse 23 because this is a, a section here. It's um, kind of a, a, a prayer of thanks and a, t a giving of thanksgiving to the Ephesian Christians as well as a, an intercessory prayer for the people. Now, again, we've got to remember the church in Ephesus was where Paul spent three years of his ministry. Um, that was the longest he stayed in one place developing and, and building the church. The time of the writing is, is quite a few years later. So the church has grown, and he's writing this letter to encourage the church that he spent so much time. Uh, some of the things, though, that we see here in, in the book is that, that he's not, you know, giving a lot of personal greetings, and there's different reasons for that. One, um, it was probably going to be a letter that would be circulated to other churches besides the church in Ephesus. Um, but also, uh, we believe that the church had grown a lot and that he didn't know everyone there. In fact, the very first uh, part here... Verse 15, as he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, um, we've been reading that he's, he's wanted them to grow in their faith and understand the hope of the calling, understand that they were adopted, um, that they were chosen. These are the things we talked about the first few weeks in the study. And so now in verse 15, he says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And we're going to talk about the prayer after that. So here he's, he's just kind of giving that greeting going, you know, I've heard about your faith and your love. The book of Ephesians, we're going to be finding the addresses both of these things, the faith of the Ephesians as well as the love that they have for one another. But if, if you're uh, thinking a little bit, um, you know, if Paul was the one who planted the church in Ephesus, why is he saying, after I heard about your faith, and heard about your love, and not just personally. It's, and again, it's because the church in Ephesus grew, and there were a lot of people who were getting saved, not just the people that started the church. And I was thinking, you know, that is really important for us to know and to be encouraged that Paul went and he, and he established a church, and the Gentiles got saved, there were Jews, and the church went. The thing is, is that these, you know, this some seven or so years later, there is enough people in the church that got saved after he was there. 
Well, one of the things that tells us is that a church should always be growing. The church should always be growing and not growing because some of the people from the other churches have left and they've joined this church, right? We don't want to just grow because somebody got disgruntled in another church or wasn't getting fed. With churches throughout the valley, don't, often what we see here in Big Bear is transfer growth. We see people going from one church to another to another. And, and there's those times, I mean, you know, if, if you're not being fed, if those things aren't happening, it's not wrong necessarily to go to another church. But have we seen in this valley, in the church in Big Bear, have we seen salvations? Have we seen people coming to faith? Or is it mostly growth from people moving up the mountain who are already Christians and going from one church to the next? Sadly, we're not seeing many salvations in this valley. We're not seeing the gospel preached. And so this, this letter can be an encouragement that, to remind us that, yes, people should be coming in uh, and, and coming into faith. That's why we're doing the first steps class, so that new believers who've never been taught the foundations can come and, and, and be, begin to uh, walk that process of their salvation. So it's an encouragement to say that the, the church should be growing and not just because you know people have left and and, and other people have come in fact in, in this church here you know we probably have 40 percent uh, new faces over the last five years at least half of the church was not here probably five years ago um, but our numbers haven't gone up that means that half of our church has left and just been replaced by other believers um, a lot of people have moved to the mountain and come from other places of fellowship, and that's fine. But we want to be challenged to be uh, looking for those who God would have us share our faith with, um, looking for those relationships where we can actually um, help to make disciples. And you don't have to go to Guatemala to go into all the world um, to preach the gospel. So therefore, I've, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. The other part that's awesome here is that Paul heard about it. You know what I want to have a testimony of is that somebody who hasn't been here for, for many years could write a letter and say, hey, Christian Center, I heard about your faith and I heard about your love for the saints. Wouldn't that be a wonderful, wonderful testimony that, that the people of God were so stirred up that they were just serving him, not, not to receive, uh, you know, acclaim or anything like that, accolades, but, but just serving God and that the word spread and people who hadn't been here could say, hey, man, I've been talking to other people in Big Bear and it sounds like Christian Center is full of faith and love for one another. That's a great testimony. Isn't that a great testimony? And, and I believe that our church is, is full of love for God, and we want to continue to press in so that we can receive that message. We definitely don't want to be the receiving the message that says, hey, I heard about what so-and-so was doing. That better stop. Um, so, so Paul's right. He says, I've heard about their faith. I've heard about the, uh, the love for all the saints. And so I don't cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. And then he begins to go on and talk about this prayer. And this is where we're going to spend our time this morning. So let's, let's finish this out. Here's the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now this last section is one of these really pregnant sentences, so it's, we're going to read the whole thing. So, and we, he wants us to understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then you take a deep breath and go, because <sighs> that's a huge prayer that he's praying and it all runs together. And, and, and it would be that excited preacher that I can be sometimes, but that, that just starts preaching and just kind of, you kind of feel like you get shot by a machine gun of words and you just, and that's this prayer that we would understand. So I want to break down some of these things that he's talking about so that we could even understand that we are the recipients of this prayer. And then also we get the dual role here. We get to, to understand that we're the recipients of a prayer, but also understand that we can be the people who are praying for others this same type of a prayer. Okay? Because part, this, is the, this message here this morning and what's happening here is helping us to understand that, that Paul still prays. Okay, so Paul the Apostle, the man of God, who's, who, who has miracles that follow him, still takes the time to pray for people he hasn't seen for these things to happen. It shows that prayer is important. That if, if, if prayer is good enough for Paul, it should be good enough for us. Amen? And so we need to be stirred up this morning that we would pray for one another a prayer something like this. And here it goes, back in verse 17. What are, we, what are we, gonna, we talking about this morning? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Not just wisdom to go to work and, and have a good day and do really well at work. Wisdom is a wonderful thing, but this wisdom is very specific, what he's praying for. That you would have a spirit of wisdom, Sophia in the Greek, in the Greek and revelation in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. Paul's basic prayer, and it's going to come out through, through the rest of this chapter here, is that he wants the Ephesians to know him better. That's the prayer. Just that he would know him. And the word knowledge in here is, is a, an intimate, deep knowledge. In the Greek, it's epigonosko. And the word gnosko is, is a personal, um, intimate knowledge. If you speak Spanish and you know the difference between the two words know in Spanish, it's almost identical in Greek. Um, in Spanish, you could say, I know the president, and it would be, yo sé del presidente. I know of him. I, I've heard about him. I can recognize his picture. Who couldn't with that hair? Um, <laughs> you know, I know him. I know what he does. 
but I don't know him. I don't, I've never met him. Uh, I certainly don't know him intimately. I don't know the kinds of food he likes. That's a different word in Spanish, and that's yo conozco el presidente. That's the same thing in the Greek is gnosko. It's actually almost the same exact word, uh, pronunciation and all. And so he says, I, I want you to, uh, that you'll have knowledge of him, epi gnosko, which means a, re a revelation of knowledge and an acknowledgement of who he is as well as an intimate knowledge of who he is. So this prayer is awesome because what he's saying is, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and acknowledgement and knowledge of who God is. Who God is. And I love that revelation. I don't know about you. I'm sure this has happened to you on different occasions, but, but maybe you're, you're reading the Bible or, or, or something's happening in your life, and, and it's like the lights come on, and you know something deeper about God than you did before. And it's not just a fact. It's this wow moment where God is, usually it comes because you've had a personal visitation where he's seen you through a trial. I believe there's different levels of the knowledge of God. One you can find just from reading about him. You can read about him and you can study and you can find all sorts of things about God. But another level that only, only happens through revelation of his person, through trials, through daily life. Uh, Paul is not praying that we would read the Bible more. He's praying that we would have a spiritual understanding of God, that we would have a, a wisdom and a revelation to understand and know God personally. And I think, thank God that there are people praying that prayer for me. And I, need, I, and I, and I pray that prayer for you. And we need to pray that prayer for each other. Because the greatest thing is not to know about God, is but to know God intimately, personally. That kind of knowledge that, that only happens from spending time and intimate time and going through difficulties. When I do premarital counseling uh, with people, I actually, um, I, one of my prayers is that during the time of courtship, of, the, of dating, if you will, before a couple gets married, that they'll go through a crisis together. Isn't that a great prayer? I'm like, God, I pray that this couple will have a crisis. And, and, uh, and here's why. You can fake it when times are good. But when a crisis comes up, your true colors come out. Nobody can truly know you until they've gone through a crisis with you, right? I mean, isn't that true? In fact, a lot of couples, you know, especially if you have a short engagement, uh, short courtship, you, you, you date, and it's all good, and you get married, and then about six months to a year in, you go, whoa! Do you remember that day? Some of you could probably say, yeah, that was March 12th. I remember it well. 
because something happened that shook the foundation and all of a sudden you saw the a different side to your spouse than you ever knew existed and it's usually because a crisis came or whatever happened the guard got let down just a little bit and now you get to see and uh, you, you get to see the true colors true color that's the relationship that we want to have with God that that we see his goodness in those times we see him but also so that he walks us through that and that's where that wonderful revelation in our knowledge of him has come if, if we were to take some time today and maybe we'll have some testimonies like this tonight and said listen I want to uh, just hear from you guys about a time that your knowledge of God, your, your epigonosco of God uh, deepened to a, a whole nother level. And if we had time to open up for testimonies, we'd find that it was that, that they just, they learned of God in a new way, that he was no longer just the God who wanted to point his finger at people, but he was a God of grace and mercy and love. That, that he wasn't just the God who did miracles for other people, but he was concerned about me too. And so I'm not going to ask for us to share this right now because it would take it would take a long time. But I'm going to just ask if you've ever had one of those moments to raise your hand. Right? And I want everyone to look around. See, we've we've had these experiences in these moments where we got that knowledge of God that's deeper. Now here's what's awesome. That never stops. When, when we're being prayed for, in a sense, through the letter of Ephesians here, and we're praying for one another that we would uh, know and have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, it's a, the Bible says it, it talks about it this way, it's, it's from glory to glory, that your relationship with God and your deepening of that understanding of who God is can continue to grow and grow and grow until we finally reach perfection when we are with him forever in heaven. And that's amazing. You see it a little bit in the, in the Apostle John. Because by the time John is, is exiled on the island of Patmos, uh, you know, he's the one who wrote Revelations in the books of 1st and 2nd, 3rd John. By the time he's writing these things, he's old. He's, one of the, he's the only apostle uh, who wasn't martyred for his faith. He was exiled and died of an old age. And as he writes the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, everything has been boiled down to his life to one simple word, love. Love. You ever just meet with someone who's, who's lived life and they can just put all of life's experiences and they just be, it becomes really simple of a philosophy. Not a whole bunch of stories and words and examples. Everything gets distilled down and that's what happened with the Apostle John. <coughs> Love. So John, I'm having a problem in my marriage. What do you think? Love. You know, I'm, I, I'm feeling distant from God. Love. Love God. Love your spouse. Love. How does that happen? You spend time with God and he just distills everything down and there's no more fear the Bible even says that perfect love casts out fear that's what I want to be now he begins he goes on in verse 18 and he prays this awesome part of the prayer here that the eyes of your understanding 
being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory and inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of his power. But I want to focus on 18 for a second here. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, there's a lot of versions because of the way it's written in Greek, but it basically, and you might say this, that the eyes of your heart would be opened. That the eyes of your heart would be opened. It's such a big theme that uh, uh, we, we sing this song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. It's the only place in the Bible that talks about the eyes of our heart in this way. That the eyes of your heart would be open, that, that the light would come in and give you that understanding in your heart. So, so what is that talking about? It's talking about that we have two sets of eyes. We have the eyes that we see physically with, but then we have the eyes of our soul, the eyes of our experience. The heart is who we are, what makes us up. It's our, it's our, our mind, will, and emotions. It's, it's our soul, if you will. And he says that your soul would have eyes and that they would be enlightened so that we may, again, know. So he, he, he's saying almost the same thing. He's going to get real specific. The problem is, is often the eyes of our heart are closed. The eyes of our, a lot of our hearts are closed and we don't see the goodness of God. We don't see his miracles. We need to have our eyes open. We see this, I think, a lot with, um, with people that we're praying for, our children who maybe are wandering from the faith. We need to pray that prayer. God, open the eyes of their heart because all the yelling, all the discipline, all the teaching, all the sermons hasn't done it. Why, why is it that when, when there's people who've listened to the things of God and they've been in the house of God continue to live in sin? And they just keep making these mistakes. I believe it's because the eyes of their heart aren't opened. The eyes of their heart and understanding needs to be opened and it's a supernatural thing that has to happen. It doesn't come from coming on Sunday and listening to preaching. It comes from the Spirit of God doing something in our life. And that's why somebody can find, we see it all the time, where somebody just comes to this moment, it's like the epiphany, and they go, oh, I get it. Because their heart is beginning to be opened. But when the heart, the eyes of the heart is closed, we see the same, what we see often is somebody who keeps making the same mistakes over and over they keep they're christians they love they might even love god they've been saved but they keep falling in the ditch you know you ever you ever know a christian like that has that been your life at times where you go i don't know what keeps happening i keep finding myself my faith in the ditch well all the bible studies aren't going to get you out of the ditch but the eyes of our heart that spiritual moment needs to happen so why so that we may know and here's a couple of things that he's praying for us to know and these things as our eyes of a heart begin to get open as we begin to know God in that deeper way again we want to know him intimately not just about him but we want to know him through experience and living life with him that will and here's what he's praying that we'll understand that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened so that we may know what is the first one the hope of his calling the hope of his calling. We, that's something all believers, we all need to know. What is, what is God's hope for us? The Bible says that hope deferred makes a heart sick. Hope deferred makes, that, that, what does that mean? That means when you're really hoping for something, you don't get it, it's just, it, it makes you feel bad. 
You know, have you ever done one of those lotteries or one of those, you know, publishers clearinghouse or the dream home or something? And, and you don't just do it like, oh, that would be really cool if I win. Somewhere in the process, have you ever gotten to the point like, oh, man, I really, I kind of think and I'm hoping and I, th- oh, we're going to get it. And then your number doesn't get pulled or there's a difference between going, wouldn't that be cool compared to, yeah, it's like almost this need and this hope and you don't get it. And it's like, oh. We have a hope that is sure in Christ. And if we could understand that hope, it would keep us out of the ditch. It would keep us, it would help to keep us as we go down because we'd be knowing. See, the Bible's word for, for hope is not as, as uh, uh, flippant as our word for hope. It's actually, actually again, a very similar to the Spanish word for hope. Um, it, it's, it's a hope with assurance. It's, it's almost a waiting type of hope. You're like, no, it's, I, I don't see it yet, but it's coming. It's coming. And if our eyes of our heart could be open to see the coming of Christ, and what is our hope? Our hope is that this life is not all there is. That's our hope. The Bible says that if this, if this, this world is all that we have to hope for, we're to be pitied among, above all people. But we don't hope just in what this world has to offer. In fact, we want our eyes to understand that Jesus and Christianity isn't, a per, isn't at the periphery of our vision. It's not over here. It's the center of our vision. And the world is at our periphery. Where, where many people uh, look at the world as their focus and they keep Jesus off to the side. But as our eyes, spiritual eyes get open, we keep him as the focus. And one of the, the hope is that we will someday be with him forever. Another thing that we need to have our eyes open to see is what are the riches of the glory of inheritance in the saints. And if you've been with us through the the beginning of the study, we spent almost a whole sermon talking about the riches and the inheritance that's in Christ Jesus. You know, I I get amazed at sometimes my lack of faith. And I get amazed at the hardships I have when I look back and say, why was I struggling in that moment? Often it's because my spiritual eyes got closed to the hope of his calling and to the riches of God's love and his inheritance. Because when those things are in focus, it's so much easier to keep focused on him. We don't get off track. What are the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints? And it's that there's so much involved in that and I encourage you just to go back and read Read Ephesians again because it goes and talks about the things that we have in Christ. The whole book of Ephesians, these, these themes are going to keep coming back throughout the, the rest of the time of our inheritance with the saints. The riches of his glory. And the third part of what he wants us to understand is what is, and here's a, a pregnant part of the sentence, the paragraph, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. We'll start with that. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? In the, in the Greek, there's a lot of words for power. And in this section, he uses all of them. 
He uses all of them to help us understand. There's the word dunamis, which, which we know that, right? What dunamis comes from the word where we get the word dynamite from. It's power, it's explosive power, it's, it's, it's awesome, it's outward, and it's, it's, uh, well, it's, it's just like dynamite. The, uh, another word is energeon, which w- w- where we get the word energy. It's a, another word for power. Another one is, is kratos, which is more of uh, authority and uh, sp- uh, specifically like dominion. So you have the power. When you have a dominion over something, it means you have the rule, and it uses the word kratos. And then it uses the word exousia, which is authority authority and he keeps it and he uses all four of these words over and over again in this next section uh, in different ways and he wants us to know what is the exceeding greatness and I wor- love the word greatness here it's a it's a megathon mega his mega do dynamite power toward us who believe I need to know that I need to know with all of my heart, the power of God, the mega power of God in my life. Who's ever heard about somebody getting healed? I have. We hear it all the time. That's powerful. You, 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 and you get testimonies of people you know and trust of, of powerful healings and that don't affect us. You know why it doesn't affect us? Because the eyes of our heart are closed to it that we're not understanding the power of God. I want to experience and understand the mega power toward me who believe. And then it goes on and expresses what kind of power he has according to the working of his mighty power. What was his mighty power? Which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay. Lazarus. Rose from the dead, right? Old Testament. Uh, uh, Elisha raises people from the dead. Jairus' daughter. We have, have all these people who died and, and were raised to life again. And I go, that's power. That's power. I've never seen somebody raised from the dead. But I've got friends in Guatemala who were doing ministry at a little village outside of Panajachel. And somebody who had died there, it was, it was, we knew the people who brought in the little group. is a group of like teenagers who went into this village and they just didn't know any better. And so they heard about a little child who died like a couple days before. And so being young and just stupid, they decided they would go pray for the dead child. And the child woke up. Now, some of you are going, I just don't know if I can believe that. I'll tell you what. When I read the story, I went, I don't know if I can believe that. I have a problem. Because I don't know the power of God like I should. So I got on, I actually got on, on, on email and even a phone call to talk to people. Because I, I, the story was close enough that I could find people. And sure enough, I found people who were involved in it. And they said, it's true. Absolutely true. And I go, man, is that cool? That's really cool. But you know what happened to Jairus' daughter and Lazarus and what will happen to this Guatemalan child who was raised from the dead and who, they're going to die again. They're all going to die. They already did, most of them, right? I don't think Lazarus is still around. It's been a couple thousand years. 
when, when he talks about us knowing the power of God, he talks about what kind of power that is. He doesn't say the power that rose Lazarus because that power stopped. It rose him one time and he died again. He says, no, the power of God I'm talking about is the power that rose Jesus from the grave who will never, ever die. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the kind of power I want you to know. That's the kind of power you can walk in and know personally. And if my eyes of my heart can be opened up to know that, I think it might start changing my life. It's like the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. There's so much implication here he's going to start talking about that. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. Greater than Genghis Khan. Greater than all the Caesars. Greater than Hitler. Greater than Napoleon. Let's, who, who are some of the... the you, greater than Alexander the Great. Above every name. Above Trump. Above all the presidents before. His name is greater above all names, good or bad. Because part of this understanding for these people is like, listen, you know, don't worry about Nero. What do you mean don't worry about Nero? No, the name of Jesus is far above every name, every principality. Don't worry about it. We've n never really lived, unless you came from another country, lived in a country in a place that we actually had to worry that the government might come in and kill us. You know, we're, we're, we're worried now that they might take away our land or tax us too much, and that's, you know, oh, oh, how we suffer. We're not worried yet that they're coming to kill us, but most of the world has. How would you, be, how would you have liked to have been born in North Korea or Iran? These people right now, and, and, and what this is saying, that Jesus Christ is far above every emperor, every principality, every power, ever that was or that is going to come <coughs> in his power we can know he's seated above everything every name that is named not only this age but also that which is coming and then he says he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things the church and, and I was reading this and I was going what what is this talking about what is this? He put everything under his feet. And, and, and I, I pass by this. I've read this so many times, and I just go, yeah, that's so cool. And wait a second. What is under the feet of Jesus? I'm, I'm not under his feet. He says, I, I, I says I'm, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ in heaven. So wait a second. I'm not under his feet. What's he talking about? This is the hard part of the message because we always like just a positive part of the message. But everyone who's not in Christ is under his feet. And that's not a good place to be. What does the victor do after the battle? What's the picture? One of them comes up to whoever he's just slain and he goes like this. And just puts his foot on there saying, I'm the victor. You know, dog, animals do it. They, they, they do it. Um, dogs, in fact, this is one of the ways if you've got a, a problem with a dog who you need to show that you're the boss, one of the things you do is you pin a dog down on the ground and you lay your head right across his neck. That's how you teach that you're the boss with a dog. 
take the dog's feet, you pull them out from under him. If you've got a dog who th th he thinks he's the boss, and you put him down, and you rest your head right above his neck. It teaches dominance. You're the dominant one. See, for us, we walk up to somebody and go, oh. when I was growing up, I'm sure Pat used to do that to me. Jay used to do that to me. They'd wrestle me to the ground, and they'd just kind of pin me down. and oh. Right? Or they'd sit on you with their knees on your shoulders. That's the, that's the picture. It says that everything is under the feet of Christ, but that's not Christians. Christians are seated with him. So this is, this is a part that needs to help us understand that those who aren't in Christ are under his feet. It's not a good place to be. There's no glory in that. There's no hope in that. Gospel needs to be preached. People need to come to salvation. It's important that we help people know who Jesus is. And then it says, I'm going back. He says, he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church. And we've heard this. We're going to hear it again in, 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 later on in, in, in Ephesians. Christ is the head. And the church is his body. Okay, well, my head does the thinking. My body carries out its actions. Right? Christ is our head. If we're the body, we need to be carrying out the actions of the head. He wants us to be his body, his hands, his feet, everything. And then I love this last section here. He gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is supposed to be the fullness of Christ. The church is supposed to be the fullness of Christ. I'm challenged by that this morning. As part of the body of Christ, as part of the church, am I the fullness of Christ? Does my life represent the fullness of Christ? So I'm going to just change it around. Does your life represent the fullness of Christ? Because that's what he wants us to be. It's who he's chosen us to be. And all the power of God has been given to us. And we can know the power of God. The mega dunamis power in Christ. And we are supposed to be his body. Carrying out the actions of the head. And being an example of the fullness of Christ. And that's Paul's prayer for you and me today. And that's my prayer for you. And I hope that's your prayer for one another and for me. That our spiritual eyes would be open. Our understanding, our heart would be open. That we would know the revelation and the wisdom of Christ. That we would know the hope of his calling. And the richness of the inheritance in Christ and that we would understand and know the power of God in our life so that we can become his body, his fullness in this world. I'm going to pray for us right now. God, I thank you for Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and your heart's desire for us. And my prayer for us is that we would 
know you. Know you in a, in a deeper way. Not just know about you, but have an intimate understanding of your love and your grace and your mercy. An intimate understanding of your power, the riches that are in our inheritance, the hope of heaven. We'd, I, we would all understand and know the power of God that was exerted when God, when you raised Jesus from the dead, that we would know that power. That we would know the fullness of Christ and that Christ is seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God. Above every situation, above every bill, above every sickness, above every discouragement, above, above every loss. And God, we would know you. That we would be your body. We would fulfill the desire of the head. And to this world, that we would represent and be the fullness of Christ. Not the fullness of Pastor Rob. Not the fullness of ourselves. But we would be the fullness of Christ to the world. Open our spiritual eyes. Open the eyes of our heart. That we'll know you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.